Welcome to the Special Delivery Podcast. I am your host, Special, here with my favorite guest, the audience's favorite guest. Everybody loves him. The goat himself, Merz, is here. How you doing? I'm well, Special. How are you, man? I'm great. I'm so happy to see you again, to hang out with you, and to talk about this album. Like I was telling you earlier, this album is my heart. You and DJ Fresh, like... My dreams have come true. I'm I'm just a happy little hip hop kid. So thank you for this album first and foremost. Thank you for listening. No problem. And as I went into the research of this album, it just made me even more happy. Like you saying things like this is you making the music that you want to make. Like as a fan of yours, that makes me so happy because we want artists to be making the music that they want to make. And even you saying like, this is 42 years in the making, like there's so much of this story to tell. And I love the stories behind the album, you and DJ Fresh on tour. He had just finished the Tonight Show with Currency and he's given you all these beats and he gives you like the unreleased Currency tracks and there's this whole process. And then you all recording in hotel rooms and in spaces to get it on the record after shows, you guys would drink beers and just make music. I think that's so beautiful. What was the process like for you internally? Like, what did that feel like coming together with DJ Fresh? Man, I felt like Fresh could understand me in ways that other producers haven't understood me. Fresh understands me as a performer and Fresh understands me as a, as a Black man in America, but also as a Black man I guess a black male with hood, more hood sensibilities operating in this very white independent rap scene. So he understands me on multiple levels. You know, I'm still weird to him, definitely, you know, but also like, you know, to be frank, and I, I'm trying to get further away from using this word, but like that. And then when you hear the original event, and when the deluxe comes out, you'll hear the original um, intro to the album. You know, where he would, Fresh would look at me sometimes like, oh, Merce, you you a nigga. You were just a, a nigga. Like, oh, people think you're this weird dude. You got motherfuckers fooled, you know? And I think there's very few people who who know me like that. That's what me and Fresh say. Like, there are definitely black guys in the independent rap scene, but there are not a lot of hood dudes. Like, people with true hood. And people that come from the hood and have left the hood far behind. But, like, I live in Inglewood. Like, I'm here every day. It doesn't stop with me. And same thing with Fresh. Like, even just, but he's more just the artist he works with. Like on tour with Groucho, Living Legends for him, or Zion I is like a vacation. Cause then he's back to doing tonight's shows with, you know, whoever the next street sensation is. For me, it's my personal life that is like that. And I think DJ Fresh's personal life is very, 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 has a lot of hood to it. So that's where we met. I think that's what was, what was special about internally for me recording. And then the weird part, the eccentric part of me, I can't turn off anyway. Being a black male in America, I've learned to turn off my hood sensibilities depending on who's in the room. Depending on who all over there, as we say, like depends on on the level of Merce or Nick Carter, however you want to say it, you're going to get. I wasn't even conscious of it until all this BLM stuff. It gave me a word for it, which is code switching. Mm-hmm. What I love about the Bay is a lot of famous people from the Bay don't code switch. And the thing about LA, though, is a lot of our stars are dead or in jail. Because if you don't code switch here... They will take you down. There are very few that make it. Dr. Dre doesn't do a lot of interviews, so you don't get to see it in him. But when you see him with Jimmy Iovine, that's not the Andre Young you see from Compton. I'm sure of it. I've never seen that side of Dre, but I'm sure of it because we 
brush shoulders with that crowd more often. And the longer you're in corporate America, which is still part of the music music industry falls under that umbrella, you aren't using that voice if you want to get the money and make the white people comfortable. And that's usually the best way to get the most money is to make the white people feel comfortable. Yeah. Oakland dudes don't give a fuck. And me as an LA dude, if I didn't know Marshawn Lynch and know some of the business things he's done, I would think he was not intelligent at all. And I'm sure a lot of white people write him off of that. Mm-hmm. But I love him as I sit here in my beast mode boxers and my beast mode socks, like beast mode sweatshirts in the back. I love everything he does because he doesn't code switch. And I didn't have a word for it until after the BLM thing, because a lot of college educated black people were speaking out and I was listening. And my wife, who went to school with a lot of people like in her circle, were telling me things. I was like, that's what it is. That's what I've been doing, even with my music. And Oakland dudes don't do it. And I think it's the Panther influence. And you can think whatever you want, how to say, hey, blah, 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 blah. But they could be multimillionaires you would never know judging them by the way they talk or what they talk about or how they dress and i love that and i want to be more of that same thing with fresh like me and fresh talk people like me and fresh talk stock tips me and fresh talk like parenting me and fresh talk a lot of shit that you wouldn't think dj fresh or the tonight show is well versed in to me what this album is is me finally like being able to let my guard down It's so beautiful. I listened to your interview with Storm Baker, which was super good. And the podcast Dad Bod Rap Pod. I always want to make sure I say it. Shout out to them, bro. But they are so fake, bro. I got to go back on their show, bro. They need to let me. They need the more dads on the other side, dude. They can't take my body. (laughs) That's what they said. They said you were making fun of them for not having dad bod. Like, and if they, they have dad bods, but they're not even dads, bro. You can't be a MILF if you hadn't paid your dues. You can't have a dad bod if you haven't paid your dues. These are the rules. I don't make them. Thank you for listening to them. I haven't done a huge press run. I've only been like doing things with people that I think would be fun or cool. You, Soren, dad bod rapper. I don't know them, but like I looked at who they had and I looked and I said, oh, this looks like something that'll be dope. The storytelling on there. I was already inspired by hearing the album, but then listening to those interviews, I was even more inspired because the stories that you're telling about authenticity, like the other levels of it, making safe choices and doing what people like and being very conscious of who your audience is a lot of the time, but also breaking away from that and saying, okay, I've fed you all for so long. I've made choices for you for so long. Now this is who I am. This is what I have to say. This is my truth. And not to say that you weren't making music that was authentically you. So I think that that's so important to bring to this project, but to bring to your catalog as a whole and to bring to you as a person. So I'm happy that you're not only sharing the music, but you're sharing those thoughts behind it and really illustrating like this is where I'm at in my life. And this is where DJ Fresh met me at. And I think that Mm. is powerful. Yeah. Shout out to Fresh for meeting me there. I didn't I never saw that like that. That's a good way to put it. I love it. And of course, I have to mention, because it makes me happy too, the story behind the album and you putting up the Instagram poll and being like, oh, you guys want a part two? Because you got the DM and that part of it while you guys are making a Tonight Show album. And you said we're still getting a Tonight Show album. So, you know, I'm waiting for that one. Not to rush you. No, yeah. It's going to take me and first. Gonna have, we get on each other's nerves, I think. So we're going to take a while before we make that. But hopefully, I'm hoping we have songs for it. So I think it should get done. And I think that's super interesting to circle back to 
Love and Rockets and make it a part two, not only because the fans wanted it, but you were creating this project with him and it was supposed to be a Tonight Show. And then you go, no, this feels like Love and Rockets volume two. What about it spoke to you in a way that was like, nah, this is Love and Rockets? I think the production has a spacey, like futuristic type of feel, ethereal and... I was at a point where I was ready to, to do the declaration. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a very declarative album. Like after we did the DLC, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. And it wasn't called the DLC. I don't know what it was called. Everything is everything or something. I was like, after we did everything is everything. I was like, yeah, man, like this is it. This is the declaration. The Love and Rockets 2 was always going to be called the declaration. Wow. And I never felt anything fit that title. And I was like, oh, this is it. And he was okay with it. I think he was okay with it too, because he's such a student of the game. He was honored to continue the franchise I started with Ski Beats because he like has a lot of love and respect for Ski. So I really felt comfortable doing it with him. He wasn't trying to outdo Ski or he was like, I want to do something on the level that you did with him because I respect that out. And it was just perfect. I love that. Something I found interesting on the Bandcamp website for this project, you guys listed all the places you recorded each track. I think that's super cool. I don't think I've ever seen that before, unless people are like, this whole thing was recorded in this place. But for you guys to nail down every single place that you recorded, of course, you said you recorded on tour. Being able to even include that in the process behind that, was that something that was a conscious decision or you were just like, oh, hey, we do have this info. Let's include it. What does that look like? Because I think it's super cool. Yeah, I just had that info. I found one tour laminate and they started having the dates and then some of the files fresh was sending had the dates on them because he would send them to me the following morning and then from there i was able to piece it together and then we also had a app for our tour where it had all the tour dates and hotels and i was like cool i could just figure this out it might be cool i'm feeling like this is really cool for me and i was like and if i was someone and I, oh, this is my favorite song. And then I got the record or CD or went to the band camp and I looked in and I was like, oh, my favorite song was recorded in my city. That's crazy. Or like I was at that show. They did this song after this show. Like if anyone's looking that closely. It's there, guys. Go look at it. It's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> and then the cover art. I could do a whole podcast on the cover art. I think it's absolutely fascinating because there's so much meaning behind it for you creating the cover with the Slauson Supermar, a.k.a. the Slauson, and just how that place has been so grounding for you. You talk about going there between tours and tapping into the energy of it, but also there's so many levels when it comes to David Barnett. And I guess we'll just start by asking, what did you tell him? What did you show him? Of course, he did volume one's cover art he did some other cover arts that we'll talk about in a second but for you approaching him with this album what does that look like it looked like me calling him like searching for him dming him i didn't have to search too much because we follow each other and then him you know remembering me because he's definitely his star has risen since the last time we worked together hmm. yeah he was like cool you know he worked with me on the price let's just say that he was extremely kind because it was something he was passionate about and I went to Fresh and his manager and my manager, we all got on a call. And then before we did this, I knew that this album would be orange and green. I knew those would be the themes. Keeping orange are the aliens. You know, we went from the water. To me, we're going towards the earth. And that was essential to me. So I was like, and then there was a song we have that's out everywhere now called South Central America. And my goal was to shoot a video for that song for the album with the um, FAMU marching band because my family is all from North Florida. 
And a lot of, I think 98 members of my family have gone to FAMU over the years. My great-grandfather has a, you know, a building, I think a building or something's named after him on the campus because he sent so many. He had 13 kids. I think 10 of his, I think 10 or 11 of his 13 kids went there. Everyone except for my grandfather, I think. And then there are descendants from there. So the Rattlers are a real big part of, the Marching 100 are a very big part of my family history to me. So I said, this song sounds like it. And I wanted to add this video and then the orange and green. And I was like, yeah. Then this is a declaration. Like, this is who I am. Like, for me, my roots start there. A lot of people can go back to Africa. My elders chose not to really go anything past. We got free. We bought this land. This is where it starts for you guys. So those colors represent that to me. Green from the earth. Like, it was just like this whole thing. So I was like, cool. And I got on the phone with Fresh and his manager. And that's what I told Fresh. I was like, this album has the potential to maybe reach into your world a little bit. And I don't want to turn people off with aliens on the album cover. I don't want to turn them off by calling it Love and Rockets 2 because I want to get new fans and people feel like, oh, I got to see part one or see part two. And I was like, and part one necessarily won't speak to part two. And they may be turned off by part one. So I was like, should we just call it The Tonight Show or just call it something new? At a point, I was like, should we call this Varsity Blues 3? Like, should we like do something else? What do you think, Fresh? And he's like, nah, it's Love and Rockets, it's Love and Rockets, it's Love and Rockets. It's like, okay, okay. Then I was like, okay, if we do Love and Rockets, my only thing is we have to use David Barnett. I got to keep it visually together. And I think his manager pushed back a little bit on it. And then we discussed it and went back and we reasoned on it. And he said, okay, well, can we do something that, you know, makes it seem hood and blah, blah. I was like, cool, David Barnett did all these cars for currency. That should be, we'll do Lowriders and do some other stuff, Aliens and Lowriders, that'll work. You know, Outcast vibes, cool. Then I called David Barnett, I tell him the colors and I send him some music and I was like, can we do some cars? And you know, like Lowriders and buses and you know, cause the buses in LA are orange on the Metro. So I was like, you know, can we do that? And he's like, I hate drawing cars. He's like, I do it for Spitter cause I love Spitter. Like, you know what I mean? But honestly, bro, I love more doing buildings and somehow, he was like, what about this building? And he's like, I Google buildings in LA in, in South Central and this Slauson Supermall comes. I was like, yo. And I was like, yo, the Slauson Supermall is orange and green. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, let's go. And he's like, I got you. I was like, let's just do the spaceship crashing in there. I told him how many kids I have. I was like, I really want my family to be a part of the cover because I take my family to the Slauson. You know what I mean? And we had just left there for something else for another video shoot buying stuff. I'm really always there, you know? Even in the midst of a pandemic, I'm still going there. Perfect, man. And he said, cool. I love buildings. I can do it. And we looked at the building and he said, you know, you can Google pictures. He Google mapped it and boom. So, so good. And you mentioned the other connection that I thought was super fascinating, where you talked to Soren Baker about how you were inspired by Currency because DJ Fresh had done The Tonight Show with Currency before. So you kind of heard how he rode those beats. But then to have that other layer of connection with the cover art, because David Barnett has done Pilot Talk 1 and 2 for Currency. Right. Like the way all of that flows together is so cool. Yeah, God is is definitely present in all this. I, I thought about that, but it's just like hitting me again now. I'm like, yeah, that is interesting. Even the fun, oh, that's, you know what? Even deeper, the first time I met Currency, I was on the Merch for President tour mm-hmm. and I was with um, Pooh and Joe Scudder. Pooh is a fucking rap diplomat. Um, <laughs> he's the first one to tell me about TDE. Mm-hmm. Um, way, way back. He's like, hey, Merce, why don't you come over here, man? I'm with J-Rock and his homies. He called me because, you know, when you come to, I take care of them. That's my family. I try to, you know, Pooh was definitely taking care of me. So I'm like, and I, I was like, you're with who? 
And he said, name. I think he said Schoolboy Q, who I know. I was like, oh, he's from Hoover. He's over, he's where? J-Rock's from Bounty Hunters. I was like, bro, I was like, I can't go over there. You want me to go to Watts and go to this? Fuck no. I was like, you can do that, but I can't do that, bro. Like, I'm cool with everybody being cool, but that's too many rivals. Like, at that time, I didn't know who I knew as another name, but I didn't know Top Dog. I knew him from his previous incarnation, I would say. His non-executive thing from Street Persona. I didn't know it was Top Dog. I knew Top Dog, but I didn't know who Top Dog was. Yeah. When people say Top Dog is blah, 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 I was like, oh, then I would have went over there because like he's a reputable dude and nobody's going to like, I just didn't know who was holding that situation. So I'm like, I'm not going over there, Pooh. But Pooh just knows everybody. So we're in New Orleans and I'm on the side of the stage getting ready going. He's like, hey, man, I want you to meet somebody. This is currency. I was like, I'm a huge no- New Orleans rap fan. Like Juvenile's in my top five. And now him and Wayne trade places, but like Soldier Slim, like, Mia X, like, I legitimately love D1, Sissy Noby, Big Frida, like, all kind of sh- I love New Orleans, and I love New Orleans rap. So I was like, yo, like, oh, shit, what's up? And he's like, what's up, man? And he just pulled me to the side. He was like, bro, you're in my city. It was sold out show at One Eye Jacks. And he was like, I've never seen these people. Wow. And they're into the kind of stuff. And he, basically, he was kind of like saying, like, you mean you could just be yourself? He's like, I didn't think it was possible, but now it's like, I could just rap about me smoking weed because he was in the thing where to come out of that city you had to be on some soldier rag type shit and he was like man and he said you know like he's like that changed my whole shit he's like after that night him and his manager was like yo like fuck it and then year three or four years later after that we both end up working with dame dash as i was doing love and rockets one and now it's hitting me dame had a mansion i had currency shoes in my closet when i was like rapping I, I hit spit up like, yo, you want me to send you your shoes, bro? Because I was like, no, no joke. I'm not trying to joke him. I was like, whose tiny ass shoes is these, Dame? He's like, them spitted shoes. So I then, like, I knew him and Dame were having some issues. When I seen him at Rock the Bells, I was like, spit, if you want me to, like, I'm staying at the house. If you want me to get your shoes and shit, those are some fly ass kicks. Like, I'm a sneakerhead too. Like, yo, like, I'll send you your shoes. Like, nah, don't don't even trip. But yeah, Love and Rockets was done while I was, like, I moved into Currency's old room at the Dame Dash Woodstock Blue Rock Mansion working with the same producer who did Pilot Talk 1 and 2. So it was, it's kind of, yeah, like a, a full circle event. But me being on this album to decide to be who I want to be and Currency like telling me, like, come in that show, I'm sure that wasn't the only thing that made him think that. But he was like, there are people in this city who are into left of center rap. And he's one of the few rappers, too. Him and, and Lil B are on, like, come to the show and, like, I look over the side stage and they're, like, saying the words to the song. I'm like oh shit, somebody I'm a fan of is like a legitimate fan of me and is rocking with me. I fuck with that. I fuck with people like that. I think I disappointed Currency because I don't smoke weed. But <laughs> he was looking forward to smoking weed with me and I, I don't. But uh, yeah, I don't know where we were. Sorry, especially happens with you. No, please do not apologize. That was great. And David Barnett, he came through, man. He came through like amazing. I saw it and I was like, yes, this is it. There's so much that is serendipitous in that. And it makes Definitely. me so happy. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, basically what you're speaking to is authenticity. So the levels of authenticity, like you helping him find his will be is so damn authentic. And then you unlocking a new level of authenticity for yourself. So it's really full circle in such a cool yeah. way. Fresh keep giving, these, giving me these beats for Love and Rockets too. And I was like, how? I literally came to the back of the van. I was like, bro, what'd you give me? Like, cause I was like, you know me, like, you know, my music, what am I supposed to do? He said, man, just trust, just listen to it, Merce, just listen to it. And I was like, okay. I went back to the room and I looked and I believe we were in Flagstaff, Arizona. And he gave me one of the songs from Tonight Show with Currency by accident. And I heard that. I came back to the van. I was like, I got it. Like the way he wrote the beat. I'm sure I sound nothing like him. 
or maybe I do, but I, to me, I don't. But that was my inspiration. You know, Spit is a great rapper. I can listen to EPMD. When I hear anybody doing something at a high level on the microphone, in inspire. I don't think I sound like them, but it'll, I'll go immediately into something. And I think that's what just hearing someone of his caliber rap over those type of beats. I was like, okay, I got it. And I think that's so important too, like being so many years into your career and still being able to be inspired by people. I think that that's such an important part of your process. And I think about it all the time too, like the conversations that you and I have about new artists that are coming out and you're like, oh yeah, I knew them when they were babies. And you know what I mean? Like you being so connected to new music, I think not only helps you musically, but I think it's so cool to just have conversations with you about music that you discover and what you find and the fact that just you being a fan really translates in your music and adds like another layer of who you are and what you do. Thank you, Spesh. No problem. Then we're just going to hop into the tracks. First track, The Lift Off featuring Spiritual Homegirl. Rocking with the world's freshest in the go. Loving Rockets. We feel them when we lock eyes with that person across the room. When we get their number, when we have that first conversation. You know, that three-hour conversation. Oh, you hang up. Oh, you hang up. It's an excitement of something new. Or maybe somebody don't want to be on the rocket ship no more. Maybe they want this bitch to come back down. Or maybe it just runs out of gas. And it plummets to the ocean like it always does. But it's an exciting journey. Wow. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. I love her. I have known her for years. She is just incredible. The content she creates, the things that she taps into. For her, what was it like being on that intro track and just creating that perfect monologue? What did you tell her? Did she listen to the songs? What did that look like involving her in the process? It came from Fresh and his and his management. It had nothing to do with me. He's like, do you know of her? I was like, yeah, I know of her. I follow her, but I don't know her. Like, okay, well, we're working on something together. So um, I think she'd be good on this. And I'm always for the female energy. Like, I'm like, yes, definitely. She can hear the album. I don't want her to hear the album and disagree with anywhere, anything I say, you know, because some women are off put by certain things. She has a woman that is very aware of how she's presented. So I was like, if she's cool with it, cool. And then he just sent it to me. It was cool. And that intro is actually a whole song that may or may not come out. And it was at the end of that song and it fit perfectly. And then we decided to get take that song off the album. And then I called Fresh back and I was like, what if we just keep her part and lose the rest of the song? And he's like, yup, yup, that's it, Merce. And I was like, cool. Whatever she felt, listen to this. She's a fan of the record. I just did her podcast as well. Yay. <laughs> So she's a fan of the record and she left me a lot of notes, a lot of voice notes in my DMs like, yo, Brother Merce, this is how I felt about this song. This is how I felt about this song. So I was like, cool, you really are a part of this album. So I was glad we had her on there. A lot of people were listening to the record. Oh, it's dope. It's dope. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I want to hear. But even if you tell me something, if even if, if it's critical, I want something more in depth than that. And uh, she broke it down track for track. I couldn't be happier to have her. I'm just getting to know her as a human but that intro is perfect. That makes me so happy. I can't wait to hear her podcast with you because she's just incredible. The questions that she asks and the ideas that she's able to bring to life just are absolutely inspiring. And I'm so glad that she's working with DJ Fresh. You know, she's been working with him for a few projects now, and it's so good to hear her voice and hear her ideas come to life. Amen. Next one is the DOC. I cuss, I cuss. Hey, blood, hey, blood. 
This one, I feel like you've had a lot of conversations about. The video's out now. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. And I think a lot of the conversations around the album have been around this song. You know, you've explained how Volume 1 had Easy e and you wanted to continue that tradition. And even when we were speaking today, you talked about how that song really was like, oh, this is the direction that we're going as far as authenticity and, and really explaining who you are and the different sides of you. For this one, how and when did you know it was going to be the first song? We didn't know until the end of like putting all the tracks together. It didn't have a name. It didn't. It was just like, I know I knew I wanted this to be the video. I don't think anybody on the, on the team really agreed with me, but I knew it in my heart and I was just so I hate to say proud, but proud of the song. And like, I'm still so into the song. And then once I think it started to resonate with everybody, they're like, yeah, this is a great first song. And because things changed, Liftoff was the first song. And then once we lost that song, it changed the dynamic of, okay, the DLC has to be first. But I don't know if it'd be a great first song. Hopefully you'll get to hear it on the deluxe edition. I don't know if it's a great first song when there's a whole ass song before it. We will see. Why do you hate to say proud? Mm, pride coming before the fall. You know, pride is kind of like a sin a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It involves a lot of ego. So I, I hate to say, you know, I, I am proud of it. I love that you're able to be proud of it, but still understand how pride feeds into ego and how that's treacherous. Treacherous. <laughs> Next track we get into is Goats. Rodeo became Obama, yeah. The rap game full of drama, yeah. So many suckers making comments, but I put that on my mama. They don't really want no problems. Dirt nap for the dirty Mac. You ain't never been down, you a dirty rat. Fuck Clint Eastwood and fuck Joe Rogan. Fuck Vince McMahon and fuck Hulk Hogan. Public enemy still number one. Words more powerful than bullets from a gun. You talked about how the hook came later. And to me, the takeaway from that song was just this love for Public Enemy. And you've done such a great job in your career, but especially within the past year or so of just giving people their flowers. And I think that this track really does that. Of course, for Dog Pound and Outcast and Tribe too, but I think Public Enemy stands out in this one. Can you describe your first time hearing Public Enemy? Mm. I would say the first time I heard Public Enemy was Night of the Living Bassheads. And I remember Chris Thomas or Ed Lover, I don't remember which show, sorry, brothers, but one of them talking this group up so much. And then me seeing this video and not understanding shit. Mm. Like, bam, 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 bam. I'm talking about, because we didn't call crack bass. Like, we didn't, I didn't know what a basshead was. Basshead was a New York term. Like, I didn't, at least where I come, we call them crackheads. Like it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I didn't know what bass as far as low end, like bass, how low can you go? I didn't know, but I liked his energy and I love Flav and I love the cinematic qualities of it. I, brought, I felt like I stepped into a world. And then after that, I think I got black steel in the hour of chaos. And I was like, I got a letter from the government and that bing, bing, bing. Like, so, you know, shout out to the bomb squad. Like that was the first time I heard public enemy. And I was like, whoa. And then the logo and the S1Ws, it was a world. I was in love and 
it definitely flipped the switch in my mind. Click, like he's using words, he's saying Farrakhan and blah, blah, but I still hadn't bought anything. And when Fight the Power dropped, and then when Welcome to the Terror Don't Drop, I remember I was at the warehouse on La Brea, right by the jungles, and I went in there and I was looking at the singles, which were right by the door. And the dude was talking to somebody he's like, you know, Public Enemy already went gold and they ain't even on a radio. You know, Welcome to the Terror Don't, when 911 is a joke, already went. I was like, that's what I'm buying. I didn't even know Public Enemy, but the guy talking about it and me knowing, like starting to read the source and kind of understanding Going Gold was a big deal and Going Gold without the radio was a big deal. And now there's a new Public Enemy single from Fear of a Black Planet, but I didn't know it was coming. Like I was 11, 12, you know, I had never heard Welcome to the Terror Don't because it had the video hadn't dropped nothing. 911 was a joke. I hadn't heard the video. It, was, it had just come out that um, Tuesday or whatever. And here I was on Friday or Saturday had to be. It was a green single. And I was like, this is what I'm spending my money on because this guy, like the radio's not playing it. It must be phenomenal. And it was. Welcome to the Church Dome still one of my favorite songs of all time. And I still don't know what he's talking about. And probably, at least I think I've decoded about 75% of that song. <laughs> but to me, that's the most fun. You know what I mean? Breaking down the music years and years. And even you saying that well, we're bass heads. We call them crackheads. Like, what is that? But it not stopping you from still enjoying the music and checking out. It's like, wait, what is this? But I like it. And being able to really dive into it is super, super cool. I just love those stories, too, because unfortunately, those experiences are few and far between now because you open an app and it tells you what dropped and that's it. But it's like going into record stores and having those experiences and talking about singles. Like I remember CD singles. Those were dope. We couldn't afford the full album. So we bought the single. Right. Just those different experiences that are unfortunately are few and far between now and, and just the magnitude of those experiences. Man, you know, and I think that's the thing is like, people start coming down on Wayne at first, I was like, it's not really his fault because I had Chuck to teach me. Like, who was there to teach Wayne? Mm -hmm. Who was he with every day? And it's shout out to Juvie and Baby because they gave him street knowledge and I'm sure Juvie imparted a lot of, Juvie's so great, like being around him. I don't think they're, you know, I don't want to disrespect Wayne or any way or Juvie, but I don't think Wayne is Wayne without Juvie. Like as far as style, cadence, I'm sure that had some influence on him. Him looking at this guy like this close to you, like I want to be cool. Like this is the dude. And he did it since he was a juvenile and I'm Lil Wayne and I'm killing it. I think people underestimate the impact of Wayne. Like when he was 13, 12, he came up with drop it like it's hot and bling bling. Those words, he changed the culture, just two words, but there was no one to give him. Like, I wish Jay Electronica would have been a part of the Cash Money crew. Yeah. Because he's from the New Orleans area. Like that part of New Orleans needed to be present in Cash Money or in that revolution from the South for young people. There needed to be a public enemy. Like Goody Mob needed to be on tour with Hot Boys so that he could have got some of that CeeLo, some of that Cujo, some of that Timo, just some of that. And it's not his fault. As Black men, it is our responsibility to educate the youth. So how dare us or you come down on this young man? Because I had Chuck, I had Daylock, but I still had Hammer. I had Easy, I had Ice Cube. Like I had all, and things like the Bomb Squad produced for both. And that was the thing is when hip hop said, we're not using this type of music, quote unquote hip hop, backpack, conscious hip hop, then we lost things. So it's more the fault of the golden era backpack hip hop for not reaching out and getting these young people involved. Cause without Chuck, I'd be all cryption. You know, but I was like, yo, who's Farrakhan's a prophet? You should listen to. I'm like, who? And when you just say those words, Farrakhan is present in the black community. So my stepdad at the time who was 
off in the streets, you know what I mean? But still respond. He was a good, you know, provider, but definitely more hood. Nothing to do with Farrakhan. Pork chop eating, um, hard drug using, alcohol abuse. But he had a homie who was in the nation. And I knew I had someone to ask about Farrakhan because I heard him mention it. Just Chuck saying that word. I, like I said, I didn't understand everything he was saying. I wish I didn't stop. He made me stop eating pork. And I wish I didn't. I was too young to make that decision. <laughs> but I was like, here's a strong voice. I don't know, man. So Chuck is so important to me. Like I had a marriage counselor tell me like that, like, oh, you do hip hop? He's like, I'm hip hop. He's like, I'm from Coney Island. Mm -hmm. I went to my prom in an airbrush jacket that my homeboy did. I took my regular shoelaces and soaked them in water overnight and then took them out and ironed them to create fat laces to wear my Adidas to the prom. Wow. And then he told me too, because I've always been that way with the youth. He's like, I'm not mad at young rappers. He's like, if you give a 17 year old a microphone, what is he going to say? He's like, what did Eddie Murphy say in Raw? Like his first jokes were about shit, poop, fuck, you know, because all you're doing. He's like, Melly Mel was in his 20s when he wrote the message. He's like, Chuck D had a degree when he did his first album, It Takes a Nation a Million. He's like, this is what we're supposed to be doing for y'all. Like this is, and I was like, oh, and that just gave Chuck a whole new perspective. I mean, like he came into this as a teacher. So anyway, that's why I always try to pay dues. And, you know, I've had people make fun of me, but uh, I give them opening acts books. You know what I mean? Last time I did a show with some of my opening acts, I soundchecked me and my wife went out to Barnes and Noble and bought seven books for everybody in the crew. And I wrote in every one of them. I don't know if they ever read those books, but I was like, this is my job. Yeah. I would hear Ab Souls on tour or Kendrick was in town and Soul was with him. I would go drop off books backstage and it'd be like, yo, like Dre is going to give you this. Top is going to give you this, but I want to give you this if you're interested. You know what I mean? Like, cool. You know, or just me and Soul being on tour talking about, he's like, who is Haile Selassie, bro? You know what I mean? I'm cool. Like, and that's what Chuck was to me. He wasn't even in my life like that, but I was really conscious of that, doing that song and doing that. And that was one of the first songs we did. We did that in Petaluma. I think as you could look at the liner notes. And Petaluma's where I met my booking agent. Petaluma's the first time I talked to Ninth Wonder on the phone. Petaluma's the place where Bradley Noel from Sublime, one of my favorite bands of all times, times, oh God, all time. <laughs> um, he passed away, unfortunately, but there's a lot of energy in that city for me. We did that at the Hotel Petaluma. As I was leaving Amy's vegan fast food drive through I was trying to think of the lyrics. Public Enemy is still number one. To this day, I don't know if there is a... I want to call them the greatest group of all time, but quite possibly the most important group of all time. And a balance. Music you can dance to that's conscious, flavor, flavor, uh, actual crackhead, and an actual political science major. Yes. In the same group with Professor Griff with a more than competent DJ, with one of the greatest production teams in the history of music. Like, it may never happen again. And I consider kind of Spike Lee part of the group. I don't know if that's weird. But Sam Jackson was in the early videos. Like, it's just like, they are it. Yeah, that's so powerful, though. Like, just you saying not only how it's helped you with your music, but also just in your life and how you are a mentor, like going out and buying those books, like that's so powerful. I love that so much because yeah, when it comes to, of course, creating a man, but honestly, just creating a human being, there has to be all these different influences. And like you said, you'll get this from Dre, you'll get this from Top, but this is what you're getting from me. And I think that you understanding that, but also taking the time to act on it is so so important because you know sometimes we have these thoughts and we're like oh you know i probably should do that but you actually doing it and knowing that that's your purpose and your place i think is super cool yeah and shout out and definitely what comes to the punch is definitely contributes a lot of that he's yes. he's a silent scientist mm -hmm. 
Then we get to track four, MERS in retrograde. Had to leave early, cause half the niggas that came with me is dirty. Murder cases and the failures to appear. So quit trying to tell motherfuckers that I'm weird. That I'm weird. Tell them about the time you took my cash and what my ass it don't exist. You never did shit with your looking ass. No passes given, just rash decisions and bad collisions. Now you can't ask for forgiveness. I set the Guinness World Record. Got it out the dirt, then I make the world respect it. This one to me is pretty self-explanatory. I feel like there isn't much to say about it everything is there on the record how did it feel to get all of that out great fresh called me and told me he had a dream i was on my way to pick up my son i do this i used to do this drive and now my son living with me but i used to have to go get him you know at least once every month in tucson drive eight hours drive back and i was about to start listening to a podcast or a book i think it was a book shout out to ready player two it was an amazing book and i was really in this book and fresh called me and like i gotta pick up and he's like man Oh, no. You know what? I wasn't. I was about to listen to the beat for Mercer Retrograde. And I couldn't come up with anything. It was so weird because he picked the beats. He was like, you got to rap to this one. And we were doing Diana Doom in that one. And he's like, this beat. And we had narrowed down to four beats. I was like, these three are for Diana Doom. This one is for whatever. And then uh, he's like, nigga, he never calls me early. So I was like, it was like, I have to leave at 5 a.m. to get out of LA before the traffic starts and get on the road to Tucson and then get into Phoenix before their traffic starts. It's like a a thing I try to do. So I'm like, all right. So it's about 8 a.m. And now I'm like hitting Palm Springs outside of Palm Springs. And he's like calling me. I'm like, what the fuck? Fresh is dead to the world this time. Nigga, I just had this dream that you was backstage with a bunch of niggas and they was acting up and they was tripping. And then you guys fucked some white boys up. And then some niggas came and you was about to fuck them niggas up. And you had to, and then I was like, what? And so you came with a bunch of other niggas and y'all had to leave and y'all ran out the back door and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm good, bro. I was like, that's an intense dream. He said, all right, I just had to tell you that. And I was like, I was just about to write to this beat. And then boom. So the whole first part of that song is like, had to leave early, just based off of Fresh's dream. And then from there, I just went into all my, um, my, my bruised ego. That's my, my bruised ego speaking. And uh, I try not to be hateful about it. I try not to be bitter. And the only way to do that is to be bitter and to be resentful and but get over it. You know what I mean? Like people like the best way to not to get angry is not to not get angry is to be angry and be done with it. Feel that feeling. <laughs> that was me. Like you said, it's pretty self-explanatory from there. No, it, it's definitely feeling that feeling and getting it out. Boom. Now it's in the world. It's not in you anymore. It can't come back. Like, yeah, get it out. <laughs> Then we get to track five, Regulator. Here go R-E-G, U-L-A-T-E. What you got or what you know, it don't matter to me. Here go R-E-G, U-L-A-T-E. What you got or what you know, it don't matter to me. I'll be regulating, this a regulation party. But I'm far from regular, you regular, I'm sorry. I'll be, I'll be regulating, this a regulation party. But I'm far from regular, you regular, I'm sorry. Mercenary on a bounty hunt, Mandalorian, and I'm repping LA County. What? This one to me is just, of course, the album itself is called The Declaration. And this was just a declaration of you loving yourself for not being regular. And it's anthem gets kind of corny because sometimes anthems are corny, but this is a non corny anthem for like, this is who I am. Like, this is me not being regular. Of course, we talked about the writing process after the shows, drinking beer. But for this one, what was it like writing this one and really coming to terms with that self-love for not being regular? Oh, man. I've always been happy not to be regular. 
but thinking of how can I put that in a feeling, you know, in a way where everyone can feel it. I think we were in Bellingham, Washington, and I was coming out of like Fry's Electronics or something over that was right by the hotel. And motherfuckers were looking at me crazy. And I think that's just how I felt like walking back to the, cause I was listening to these beats everywhere I was going. And I was like, I know I, I don't belong in northernmost tip of America, nothing but, you know, sadly, there are more Native Americans or indigenous people than black people up here. So I know me walking into this fucking store is a real problem for you guys. Oh, and that's what, and I was, <laughs> that's what it was. I was going to pick up my son and take him to the snow and I had to buy boots and shit for him. So I'm like trying to like carrying kids boots. Like I'm just looking like a, my hair. I'm probably in some pajama pants. Like I just look a fucking mess. And I'm trying to pick up kids snow boots, my snow boots. Like I'm buying us all the snow gear, gloves, in and out of the dressing room with all this shit. I'm like, I can't make you feel comfortable. Oh, and the, oh, and the, and the alarm kept going off when I walked out and they swore I was stealing something. I was like, bro, I got enough cash in my pocket for merch to really like definitely to buy you out for make you unable to come to work for two weeks if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Like, I don't need to steal. Please just let me go to a hotel because I got to go back and perform. So it was just, I think all that feeling and I was just like, this is just my life. Like, this is definitely not a regular existence. But how do I make this feeling relatable? I know people can relate. How can I make this into a cool, slow ass course? And I definitely, this is definitely Lil B influence. Like, I really wanted to do something like bass. Like, what were the bass guys? Two very... Simple rappers. It was inspired by Warren G and um, Lil B. I was like, how can I just make this plain? I make like Warren G has some of the best lyrics to me and some of the best hooks to me. I was like, I gotta get this together. And uh, that's so it's very repetitive. It's very simple for a lot of shit. But um, I think I nailed it. No, you definitely did. It feels good. You feel it. That was definitely Wiz too. Wiz writes some mm. really simple hooks, black and yellow, and so on and so forth. Definitely, I love that mesh too. Warren G, Lil B, and Wiz Khalifa. Wow. <laughs> I want to say it's only something you could do, but it's just so fitting for you. Then we get into track six, Hetty Murphy. Turns me on. Let me give you some head. I eat your pussy while you pull my dress. Lay on your face, then spread your legs. I do my best to leave a mess on the bed. I said, baby, let me give you some head. I eat your pussy while you pull my dress. Lay on your face, then spread your legs. I do my best to leave a mess on the bed. Yeah. She had a booty like a Q-tip song. I said, I said, Benita, come and hit this bong. She said, she said, I never seen a dick so long. The fucking title. <laughs> like That's fresh. Yes. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Was he just like this this is what we're titling it or how does that conversation happen? This was Durango, Colorado. I got stuck at Denny's with a friend of someone. I I was basically playing wingman for somebody at Denny's. I started writing the song early in the day. I love Durango. My wife and I had had to spend a Valentine's Day there, so it was a very special place to me. Thinking about <laughs> the romance we had there, for lack of a better term. I like that. There's a game called Viva Pinata. I don't know if that'll translate, but that's where the, the inspiration for the song came from because when the pinatas mate, it's like you have to raise and mate pinatas in this game. When the pinatas mate, it calls like, oh, this pinata wants to romance with this pinata. <laughs> and then they romance and they make a baby. I was thinking of my wife and I romancing in Durango as. Because oh, we got like couples massage at this place. And then we, I walk past that place. Because when I get to a city, since I'm not like 
a single guy and I'm not tired from illicit sexual encounters or hard drugs. Like I just got a lot of energy. So like I'm walking around Durango looking for the place that has the best vegan options and just walking and writing in my, cause I write in my head. So I'm like, okay. And then I wanted to get back to the hotel and record. And I remember having to go to Denny's and just sit with this chick. And I'm like, oh, not just sit with, she was a nice lady, but I was like, I need to do this song. You know what I mean? But I'm doing a favor. I think we ended up doing it late, late that night. And I come into soundcheck and Fresh is playing it over the loudspeakers. And it's such a vulgar song for every, the sound man, merch guy, the bartenders. This is their introduction to you guys. Yes. And he's playing it. And then Grouch is like, because Grouch is a fucking perv. And he's like, yeah. Grouch is like, oh, this is dope, Merce. And then Fresh, of course, like loud, no code switching. Hey, nigga, we finna call this one Hetty Murphy. It's just like it just like like turned it down and I was like okay like we're out here because oh, it's kind of like that song is about romancing with my wife like these songs like I've done some really bad songs but they've all been honest you know like there's things I wish I could change and oh, I shouldn't have used that beat for that topic and a lot especially with fresh like I didn't know if when these if some of these songs are I was not done yet I know I wasn't in love with that song but I was like. This is just what I felt compelled to write about. It doesn't make it a good song. And uh, he's like, nah, nah, this is going on the album. This is Hedy Murphy. And so it was Hedy Murphy. Another declaration. He declared. <laughs> he declared, yeah. Oh, man. And that one's my favorite beat on the album. It's just such a fun beat. It makes me happy. Oh, man. I had so much fun writing. I wanted to rap. That's the thing. It's like, I don't want to do songs because... I think they're going to make me famous or like, I just need to rap to this beat because it's so much fun. And I finally, it's like a puzzle and I feel like I finally figured it out and I want to do it. And that's definitely evident, I think. Then we get to I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan. I don't eat burgers because that's suicide, aka self murder. It's just hilarious. And I know it's your son's favorite. And it's really one that people are really gravitating towards, which I think is super cool. Your tone on that one is so different. Was that something that was conscious or just happened? Um, It's funny. My son said the same thing. Like, that doesn't sound like you, Pop Pop. And also my middle son told his mom, like, why daddy lying? Why he lying? Him eat burgers. Him eat burgers. And I was like, yeah, he doesn't know the difference between veggie. He's never had a hamburger. He's never, he doesn't know that there's any type of meat <laughs> to explain. It. But anyway, yeah, that song, we were definitely into the Jameson by that point. We were in Maui when we did that song. These young ladies that were in the video, shout out to um, Serene, who's doing the vocals. Just fresh being like, Mercer, ain't no song for vegan niggas. You a nigga that's vegan. You need to do songs for niggas that's vegan. Like, niggas need to hear some shit for vegans, Merce. You need to do that. All right, come on. Are you just just freestyle? I'm gonna do what's the what's that freestyle fellowship song? Hold on. Boom, 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 boom. Just looped up the beat right then. And originally it had the Tricot Quest, I don't eat no ham and eggs because it's high. I've been wanting to use that for, I've been wanting to do a vegan song. But I was thinking more How to Eat to Live by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad type vibes. I was not thinking, <laughs> bitch, I'm a vegan. And he said, hey, and then he just told Serene, like right there, he's like, do it. You can hear him because he put that part in there. But he had to teach her to say, bitch, I'm a vegan. Two, three, bitch, I'm a vegan. And then he made the beat and I started, okay. And he, I just sat down at the table. So I think that song is actually the peak 
if you want me at my most authentic, how I talk, how I think, how I, that is it. That is not how I talk to my kids. You know, even my son, like that is deep, deep, deep to the core of me. It was just what's on my mind right then. If you picked up the phone and it was my little brother, that's probably like my little brother mm. or my, you know, my best friend from my neighborhood. Like that's that voice. That's, that's why I think it sounds a little different. That's so cool. And then the clip at the end, I got homies that bang every day. I got homies that sang every day. And it almost sounds like that Snoop in the background where he's coaching. Where is that clip from? That's my brother in my front yard. Um, oh. Fresh added some stuff around it, but Unbothered was not going to go on the album. I felt like it was out of place. It was definitely a song that was done sober, written sober, not something I would usually rap to. It definitely had E-40 vibes, something I would listen to, but something that Merce wouldn't rap to. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't very fond of my verses on it. The second verse was originally the first verse, and I definitely wasn't fond of that. To me, it was like a weak lyrical song. I mean, I was going to cut it and. I was playing an album for my wife and she said, your brother is going to love that song. And that's my brother. Anytime I have someone sing on my album, like that's, it is a Snoop line that uh, I got homies from the hood that bang every day. I got homies from the hood. I think it's called 20 Minutes. I think it was on The Dogfather, which is one of my favorite Snoop albums. So that's me and, me and me and my brother's like line for years. When I asked him about like, what do you think of the new album? He was like, oh, you know what my favorite song is? I got two kind of homies. I got homies from the hood. And he... He said that for decades now. And so when she said that, she's like, that's going to be your brother's favorite song. I was like, okay. And then my my middle son looked up and he was like, dad, I love that song. So I was like, all right, it's going on the album. And I was like, and I got to get my brother. Because it didn't fit. It did, like We had to have a transition. I was like, I had one. And he was like, your brother sounds too much like he's laughing too much on this one. Mm. I was like, okay. So I got him to do it again. He's like, cool, I got something for that. And then he looped the sound effects behind it. Nice. And the Snoop or whoever that is saying, whatever they're saying. And then it, it fucking flowed perfectly into Unbothered. It really does. It flows so well. Then we get to Unbothered featuring Lady Divinity. Criminals never got put on. The homies had visuals. They saw me making my name, saw me getting fame. They saw a future for me. They didn't want me to bang. For that one, I feel like the hook and the verses fit together so well. Which came first, the hook or the verses? Yeah, the hooks were there. I think this would have been a great song for any other street artist that uh, Fresh had. I was like, well, you know, I know the term unbothered, but like, it's the, you know, I was like, ah, I was like, well, I'm just going to. It's also. That one stems from, and I've been trying to make the song, I'm still going to maybe continue to try and make the song, but it's a song called One of the Big Boys by Kwame, where he talks about trying to be yourself and getting made fun of. Once I met Kwame as an adult, we did some songs for Merch for President that didn't make the album. Then I seen him at Comic-Con, and I saw he was someone I identified with as a kid. I wanted to dye my hair like Kwame because he was a black kid that was like left of center. And he had his own world with the polka dots and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was so cool. And then as I got older and found out how we had some similar interests and how what a fucking amazing human he was, I was like, I still want to remake this song. I want to get that feeling out. So there's another black kid out there. But now also like there's Tyler, like they don't need me as much because there's such a, a wide spectrum of what blackness is. And it's beautiful. But I was like, I still wanted for me, I want to do that song. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'll rap about 
my version of that. And it's nothing, like I said, you can listen to one of the big boys by Kwame. He's not talking about Bloods and Crips, but, uh, you know, I got to sneak in an AZ homage with the beginners in the hood as five percenters. And um, there's parts of it I really liked. And I got to talk about my homeboy, Eric, who I don't talk about often in, in music and someone that was my brother's best friend. He was my friend first, but he lived next door to me. And we were the same age, but my brother thought he was the coolest guy ever. So he just became, they became more best friends because Eric was definitely more into the streets than I was. So like we went to summer school together. We shot dice together. We smoked weed together, but we didn't hang together because I was a weirdo. But my brother and him were like this. And so when he died, it was devastating for my brother. And even before I knew, I knew my brother would like this song, but I wasn't thinking of that. And that's why I put that line in there. And then my wife brought it all together. She's like, your brother's going to love this song. I was like, I knew that somewhere in me. That's why I mentioned Eric or E. It was good for me to like talk about Emac. That was therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I would never, you know, that's the closest thing I'm going to get to, like an E-40 song. Like, it just sounds like one of those town songs where, like, somebody, sister or cousin or auntie on there just singing her ass off. And then you just say some old whatever shit. The conscious shit that, uh, like, E-40 always has, like, Hammer used to have Prey. Like, that's the thing about, like, E-40 and they have something that's, like, God-centered or, like, conscious. That's the kind of vibe I was going for on this. assault. like, that's another, like, mixing Kwame with a... E40 tired of being stepped on vibe. Yes. And it still slaps. Slaps. Because that's not smack. No, slaps. Slap, <laughs> slap, slaps. <laughs> but it is super autobiographical. And you talked about the weirdness and you talked about being weird cuz and you wore the shirt in the DOC video. As far as that name weird cuz, were you comfortable with it at the time or di- is that something that came with age and growth? Oh, I loved it. Cause it kept me out of trouble, bro. It usually comes from like somebody very old, like leave that little nigga alone, man. Like go on. Hey, that's weird. Cause like, let him, let him just stop. Like, cause it'd be the little dudes with something to prove either them putting their arm around me or like them from across the street yelling to the other little dudes, like the little homies, like leave him alone, man. Like me rollerblading down the street and a bunch of kids chasing after me until some, you know, big OG nigga come out. Hey, Y'all leave weird cuz alone, cut, cut, you know, leave that little nigga alone. He just want to ride his roller skates. And it's like, cool. It's like, it was, man, it was a shield, bro. I wear a pride. I don't talk about a lot on albums because I don't like to endorse gang culture. I don't want people like, oh, you a crypt then or blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't have time for that. But at this point, gang banging is for sale. So many people haven't lived it, get to talk about it. I'm not going to bite my tongue anymore. I've already made enough steps to where it's obvious where people know that I'm not endorsing it. That's definitely my biggest hindrance was I never want to come off as celebrating this or endorsing this. It's a very serious problem. But now of age, I think I have to just, you know, tell it like it was. And that's just definitely, it wasn't a glamorous name. It wasn't something like everybody from every hood has like a, a smoky or a, a skinny or, or, you know, big dog or whoever, you know, like everybody has all these names, you know, shadow, there's like Flacco, like there's all puppet. There's like, there's people named, you know, T-Mac, E-Mac, J-Bone, blah, blah, blah. But nobody from the hood is named Weird Cuz. So it's like, nobody's like, you know, I'm Weird Cuz from Wah 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 Pyru, like, or whatever, blood, like Crip, but you know, it's not. So I was like, you know what? I think people will get it. And people love the shirt from the video. People get it. Yeah, it's owning it and also understanding that, like you said, it's a shield. And it's also like a term of endearment at the end of the day. Yeah, it is endearing. I love it. And then that one has a great clip that transitions us into St. Ides. The downtown Clemeth Falls. Where did that come from? I have no idea how Fresh found that. <laughs> and that, if my son's being truthful, that is his favorite part of the album. My oldest son, that is, is makes me turn up just that part. Nice. 
guys. As we're coming in the ca- I love that part, pop up. That's the that's so funny. I was like, why is that funny to you? What is Klamath Falls? I was like, it's a place, bro. Yeah, someone close to me attended Oregon Tech University, which is in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And I spent a summer there. It was the first time I got to drink St. Ives. It was that summer. We bought it from Safeway. And I was 13 or 412, whatever, saying the song. But we were driving through Klamath Falls when he gave me that beat. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I got it. I got to give a shout out to Klamath Falls. And it just start from there. And we went through Chilliken. I was like, all right, cool. And then from there, because I was trying to come up with songs that had hooks in them, but didn't have hooks. I was trying to master that part of writing. Like, how can you listen to a whole song and feel like there's a familiar hook? But I don't want to write hooks. I want to get in, get out. You know, that was me the first time. Kids are like listening to songs really quick now. And I always admired that about punk rock. And even in live performance with Fresh Nose, and I know I rarely do the third verse to any of my songs on stage. Yeah. And no one ever complains. Why even write a third verse? Even though my name and my birthday, 316, I love 316, but 216s or no 16s at all. Like just fucking with song structure and trying to still, every song can't be Mercer Retrograde. I wanted to avoid something like that, this album. But then, you know, that was one of the last songs. It was the last song recorded. I don't know if that came out. We did that on a set of the DLC. But I wanted to have something that was melodic, like regulate and like, okay, we have a super repetitive hook with regulate that's super to me, not stale, but really stale for me. How do I get a hook without having a hook? And that's what that was. It started with Klamath Falls, which is a real story. You know, and that's close to, I was like trying not to mention real people, but uh, that was a summer to be remembered. Nice. Well, and the three verse thing too reminds me like DJ Fresh not only as a performer, but as a DJ. And a lot of DJs don't get to the third verse either when they're mixing. Right. You know what I mean? So it, there's a bunch of different reasons not to have a third verse. And then with St. Ides. I spent the summer out Clement Falls. Fell in love and came up on some brand new draw. Brand new draw. I was 13, sipping St. Ives. She looked like Kelly Williams with some slanted eyes. I had a chick out in Chilliken. Bitch used to stay stoned like a Philistine. Said a man had a dick like a millipede. She would let me fucking suck a pussy for a little weed. Checked in the motel. We had some more dope to sell. Five dollar tapes though. You know the story well. Match from the East Coast. Straight to the East Coast. One of my favorite things that I'm noticing as I get older is you talked a little bit about it, about making sure that women felt included in your music. And there's always points now in these albums where I notice, like, oh, this is a line to end stigma for women. Uh, what was the last album? Unicorn Glitter? Yes, yes. Yes. Like that whole song was like ending stigmas. And I think on St. Ides, you do it too. Like, if you ain't fucking on your period, then <laughs> you ain't serious. Like, just ending stigmas through, through your rhymes. Like, that makes me so happy because there's all these weird things that we think and it's like no that that's not true you're not serious if you're not fucking on her period Shame. yeah that's, uh, somebody called me and was like man that's me and my girl favorite line she in the back of the like, yeah and i was like oh my god who was it i don't remember who it was but somebody called me i was like this is this is powerful same thing with hetty murphy like i try that's what dj quick did for me like especially with dreads like a lot of people who are rostered there's a lot of stigma like you don't use your girlfriend's wash towel you don't bathe in the same bathwater because her pussy's been in there and a pussy bleeds. And I'm like, bro, if you don't cut all that shit out. Um, so Hetty Murphy for me was like, when I say pull my dreads, it was a direct line. Like that probably pissed some people off. But I'm like, yo, I'm not about to perpetuate these stigmas. Like pleasuring women, even in that song, like she would let me fucking suck a pussy for a little. Like I was giving this girl weed and things so I could have the privilege of giving her head. The type of person I am and the type of things that I hope I can do for young men 
whether they're black, white, whatever, getting them to flip that. So yeah, destroying those stigmas are important. I'm glad you picked up on it as a woman, especially. Thank you. No problem. No, I think it's important too, because knowing you, I think that's just part of who you are, but it's important to point out like, no, these are things that need to be broken and need to be said out loud and need to be people's favorite parts. (laughs) (laughs) On that one too, you said that was seven years before I got signed, but I never sold out to get mine, which is so powerful. When you were going to get signed but never selling out was that conscious or something that just kind of happened because i think it can go either way i was conscious because you know when i did 316 was supposed to be on a label after end of the beginning shout out my my barber he's not my barber but he owns the barbershop i grew up going to goose um legends barbershop in la goose q and um bruce al like all the dudes who work there cut john singleton goes to their hair like my cousin, who's an ultra super like high up attorney, goes there. Like, I didn't even know he went. But if you're black in LA, successful in our hood, like where I'm from in Midtown, like it's the most West Side uppity, like the last hood before of black people before you get to white people. So it's a lot of high high successful black people in that neighborhood. Sorry, my kids are yelling. And then my barber Keith, my big homie Keith and Tone. Sorry, try to shout out everybody. But Keith, Keith Goose, one of the big homies that cut hair, gave this A and R my phone number and I'm walking down Merrill's I'll never forget he's like yo this is blah blah, blah from, from Warner Brothers yeah I heard that end of the beginning bro like uh yes yeah, so, uh you wanna come in and uh, play me some music and I was like uh, nah I'm good or you know call me back I'm about to go on tour I never wanted to play a demo for anyone and um I was able to get a major record label deal and eventually I ended up getting the Warner Brothers and working under that same A&R it was a roundabout way but I'm not going to go to your office. I'm not going to play you any music. If you want me, come and get me. I learned that from an old pimp told me one day, like, you know, you want a girl that likes you. Mm. There's a lot of girls that you like and a lot of guys like a lot of girls, but you find you a woman that likes you. And I think that translates to everybody. And that's how I was so comfortable with my fan base. You know, this album had to break out of that in a way, but in a way like those who were really down for me. And that's why a lot of these, a lot of these fans, I don't respect because their, their favorite rapper is Slug. Like, oh, I love Slug, Aesop Rock, Grouch, and you. I'm like, all right, there's something with that list. And if you don't see what's wrong with that list, like, I kind of don't care if I'm on that list anymore. Like, that list, I'm grateful and thank you for your support, but I'm good. You know what I mean? If I can't be on there with Blueprint or Lil Wayne or Snoop, you know, or Noah James or like someone else, I don't want to be on the top five with four of the white dudes. Like, I'm good. You can keep it. You can have it. Just add, add that right guy that you really want to put in there anyway. You know, I want fans that like me. Like I find finding fans that like, but that's what kept me tolerant of this type of shit for so long. Cause I was like, cool. If they like me, I'm cool. Whoever likes me, but you gotta show some like earnest. Like I'm not going to say drop everything and go meet with Warner brothers. I'm good. Yeah. I think that's the not selling out part to me. And it's not, you're not a sellout if you play your demo. I'm just realizing like a lot of stars and a lot of people who love the spotlight on the indie circuit and the mainstream circuit need attention. I'm not broken in that way. I'm broken in other ways. My mother loved me and that's always been enough for me. So I don't need to play you my demo. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to tell me my outfit is cute. I don't need I don't need shit from you but your money. Like that's more of my thing. Like I need the, the support of people who are really into what I do. All the rest of the sheep you, you can keep. So it's okay to shop your demo. It's just for me, that would have been selling out who I am. And I don't want to get into a stigma of it's cool to play your demo. I'm broken in other ways. I'm broken in a way where... I need you to earn earn my attention. And eventually, yeah, Warner Brothers came to me. I didn't go to them. So powerful. And and just 
that level of understanding. Like I think a lot of people are doing things for attention and they don't even realize that it's for attention. They make excuses that it's for other things and they haven't really figured out why they do the things they do. And it's just so powerful to hear you not only knowing that so long ago, but being able to tell those stories going forward. Like, no, I know who I am. This is part of me. This is what I do this for. This is what I do this for. And this is who I am. So I think that that's powerful. And speaking about especially the white fans, I think on real ones, when you open up with talking about Emmett Till's open casket. Emmett Till had an open casket. Jet magazine showed Till's corpse. Beaten, mutilated, shot through the head. His mama chose to show the world what had happened. Can't deny the atrocities. I know my ancestors paid a cost for me. That's why everything I say in here has got to be the truth to fulfill all the prophecies. Cross the finish line, I hit my knees and give thanks for those who paved the path to royalty like Viv Banks. To me, and hearing the stories that you told around the album and and being very conscious of the fact that a lot of your audience is white, to me, that spoke to that. Like, hey, if you're a white person listening to this, I just want to remind you that this happened and his mom decided to have an open casket and just the magnitude of that. What was the reason to start that track like that? Um, That was in Petaluma. Um, That song reminded me of the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. Mm. um, It was haunting to me. I was in Providence, Rhode Island on the whatever that Iliad is Dead Odyssey is over tour. Definitely was low on money at this point. Uh, it was cold. And uh, I forgot what happened. Something happened with I had to I had to come. I had a large unexpected expense in my life. I took a day off to be with my family in Providence. My wife has my in- some in-laws in Providence. And I spent a couple of days with them and my kids and my family. And it was time to meet the crew in um, DC and I had to get up at the butt crack of dawn, leave my family, but I wanted to go to the African-American History Museum in DC. There was no way that I was gonna be in DC if I had to wake up early. So I took a bus and saw to acrobatic because I saw him at the train station in Providence, but I took a bus to a train from Providence to DC to get there and then walked and walked because I couldn't afford an Uber. And I got there and I was like, I start. I kept walking. I was like, if you've ever been there, it's like five floors. And like, they're like, Dilla has something on the top floor. And I was like, no, I want to go through the whole experience. So you take a elevator down. And I'm so glad I did this now because with COVID, I don't know when this type of experience will be available and how long, because it was so long to get in there. I had to book tickets. You start on the slave trade and it was like, uh, my wife is Brazilian. Even that was powerful for me is learning how many, if you look at your geography, Portugal is a sliver off the side of Spain, a sliver, not that big. They collectively did more in the slave trade than any other country, I believe. And a lot of that ended up in Brazil. So I'm like dealing with that. Like I'm like reading everything and I'm walking. I'm like the last one because you have they push you through and I'm like the last one. And before they closed, I spent like four hours. I read every exhibit. Like I took pictures. I like absorbed everything. And I was like, I'm not going to make it to the fifth floor. I'm barely starting the second floor. And then you get to the second floor and Emmett Till's family allowed them to have the casket. And I never seen the pictures and the actual casket is there. And I never knew that that's what they she did. And I heard the whole story and then I had to get out. And I just stuck with me. And I was like, a lot of black people don't know that. And so I led with that because that was impactful to me. I was like, she wanted to show the world, like you're not gonna cover this up. And how it still doesn't mean shit. What tripped me out though, is I just recently saw Judas and the Black Messiah and her doing that, that's what switched Fred Hampton on. He said, seeing that changed his life. Yeah. That woman made a decision at her mercy and having lost a child, 
at her most hurt, at her most, you can't zero out more than that. Life has zeroed her out and she still had the fortitude to do something that impacted me and impacted Fred Hampton, who was one of, you know, the most important people in the black power movement and black history in general. So when I saw that the other night, I was like, I'm so glad I said that. For me, it always bums me out because I'm like, black people aren't even paying attention. Like I'm dropping shit and like, I'm linking this whole shit and like, ah, and I saw that, you know, but I know that I'm on the right track. I was like, wow. I saw it. I thought it was important enough to say something. And Fred Hampton saw it. And Fred Hampton probably wouldn't have been Fred Hampton had that woman not done that. And then once again, back to just breaking stigmas. Because Emmett Till is the star of that story, unfortunately. But his mother is so important. Women are so important because it's still women giving birth to this revolution, physically, literally, and spiritually making those hard decisions to make another man do something. Yeah, it was just impactful. So I led with it because that was the most haunting thing to me. I was thinking like, honey, I'm a Disney fanatic too. That's the whole, you know, how I'm piecing it. That's how fucked up my head is. But I'm like, this beat is haunting. And I'm walking after Petaluma. I knowing that this is going to be an important album now because me and Fresh did the first two songs already. And that beat was hard for me to rap to. It's not interesting. I think that song was horrible. I like what I'm saying, but I don't like the beat that much. I don't like how I come off on it. But then I always hope and I still don't know if people make it to the second minute of that song where Fresh does that breakdown is the most beautiful part of the album. Oh my God, I've never been a part of a more beautiful thing sonically. That's the most beautiful I've ever sounded. And I wasn't there for it. It was something Fresh did later. He sent that to me and I was like, you changed my life with that. You changed the world with that music. Mm-hmm. We did that song. I think that one we recorded in Seattle because I struggled to get that one done. I didn't like it even when I was rapping i can feel my face now saying i was like oh this is shit fresh but i feel like i'm saying some shit fresh like that was like okay this is definitely level rockets to the declaration we were already on that path like and definitely uh for me it's about something slug told me a long time ago was there's some rappers we had beef with and he was like don't make records about them they won't be around and you have linked your ship to someone else and for the most part he was right so it was definitely hook was definitely them like i was like i know they have to speak my name in reverence or not speak it at all. Those people that hated on me, those people that, and I don't, and I never had to direct them. So I was like, you know, like I'm reminding people that kind of like, tell me how it sound to know they was fake and know that you was real. They know how that feels like that type of like, ah, when you look back, I don't have to say it, but it feels great to know that I held my weight and that people respect me and they don't respect you. Not that you not having respect, but the fact that I wanted your respect and you didn't give it to me and that hurt me at a point. And now people don't respect you the way I I respected you. I hate to say it feels good, but it does. And I think that's how I felt listening to it too. Like it's so much on feelings because if anybody's been in that situation where somebody ended up being fake and you knew that you were real, like a lot of times it's not something that's said. It's just something that you carry with you and it's felt. So it's like just the way you're talking about it is the way that it happens to where it's like, tell me how it feels because we don't need to mention it. We know what happened. So I think that that sums it up perfectly. And I think that sums this up perfectly. Thank you so much, Submerse, for sitting down with me. I super appreciate it. If you missed the last episode with Merce, that link will be in the description. Plus, go buy Eleven Rockets Volume 2 on iTunes, on Bandcamp. It is all there. Check out Merce on Twitch, streaming almost every day. That link will be in the description as well. And thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. And then reach out to me. Let me know what your favorite part was. Say hi. 
any of that. I'm on Twitter at Special Says and on Instagram it's at Special Says as well. As always, this episode is dedicated to Marlon. Do what you can to stop senseless acts of gun violence.